0: Delegation is your responsibility, not theirs. It's your skill to develop. Now you can help. You can help them help you, but as a manager, it's your job to delegate appropriately. And so I think you have to you have to wear that burden well.
1: Welcome to the Inspire Podcast, where we examine what it takes to intentionally inspire. I'm your host, Bart Egnell, President and CEO of the Humphrey Group. And if you've ever asked yourself. How can you develop an authentic leadership presence? Or how can you tell stories that have people hanging off every word? Well, then this podcast is for you. And it's not just for executives. This is a podcast for anyone who wants to influence and inspire others in their work, but also in their life. My guest on today's episode of the Inspire podcast is Todd Randall, and Todd uh, we talked about how the how the best introduce you. I know you're a, you're a coach, you're a multipreneur. hopefully I'm I'm saying that right. It's a great word. I'm going to I might have to uh, to borrow it. A refugee from corporate America. But the reason why I'm excited to have you on the podcast is you and I share a deep passion for delegation, <laughs> you know, empowering others, yeah. and uh, really, in so doing, you know, living a more fulfilling and rewarding professional life. And I think many people who I speak to in my career in the in the corporate world really struggle with this concept. So, thanks for coming on the pod to talk about the secret to delegation.
0: Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks, Bart.
1: Yeah, so so take me through before we get to delegation why so many people you know struggle to do it and and how to how to shift your mindset just just tell me your story because i know this it's been you know it's been a journey for you from from the farm to the opera and now back to the farm as <laughs> we were chatting about earlier
0: yeah yeah that's a funny way of looking at it i was i was a
1: you know grew up
0: in a very rural environment on a farm and uh, for whatever reason you know the grass is always greener i decided i really needed to be sophisticated i didn't want to be a country bumpkin and so I got a couple of degrees I wanted to become an academic, acquired a taste in opera and learned multiple languages and traveled the world, which is great. Don't get me wrong. Glamorous lifestyle. It's very interesting. Um, who doesn't want to be more educated? Mm-hmm. But in the end, I was craving something different because I missed my roots. I missed space and a little more authentic connection. And, um, you know, a taste of the outdoors and animals and stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I got, uh, I was a, what we call the hypo in my, in the companies I work with, you know, high potential individuals. So they kind of, when you go into a company and you start making waves, a lot of times these big companies will identify you as somebody that's worthwhile to invest. And so they'll, put you in lots of development courses, they will give you mentors, they will cart you from position to position, hoping that you become Mm -hmm. a well-rounded individual in the company. And I was that guy and I was thriving and I wasn't satisfied after a while. it just wasn't doing it for me. And I really wanted to do my own thing. And so when I left, the question is, what's my driver? And my Mm -hmm. driver was to get back to the lifestyle that I wanted, Mm -hmm. something a little more connected to nature and with a little more liberty, you know?
1: And, And can I ask, um, so two questions. One is how old were you when you had this epiphany that the you know path to the top yeah. was not something you want to pursue.
0: Late thirties, so I was mm-hmm. old enough to have actually accomplished some of it. So I was you know in an important position reporting to an important person at the time uh, from my perspective, and I was making scads of money, um, and it wasn't satisfying mm. enough. So I left only a couple years later at the mm.
1: age of forty. And what? And my second question was. You know, what kind of industry had you been in, or had it been multiple industries? you know what where had your career taken you at that point? Medtech, Medtech. Okay.
0: Medtech. So I'm a pharmacist and uh, with a long history in sales. And if you look at a lot of the big companies, you know, they like academics with sales backgrounds. Mm-hmm. And so I was being groomed for you know probably, general manager or some kind of vision mm-hmm. management spot, which was satisfying in its own way, but it didn't give me the, the liberty that I was looking
1: for. So you you checked out, you said, this isn't this yeah. isn't for me. And where'd you go yeah. from there? <laughs> well, <laughs> that, that's a big, you, you're a, on this path, right? Then it's like, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. I was on an expat assignment when I came, when I had my revelation. Hmm. I was over in Europe. And you know, the cool thing about being in other cultures is they they uh, encourage you to see the world from a different mm. perspective, mm. instead of having kind of groupthink all the time, where the people around you think the same way that you do. Uh, when you're in other countries, mm-hmm. you know they just encourage you to think differently. And so that was my big revelation when I was there. It's mm. like, hey, maybe I'm looking at this the wrong way. And so when I came home, I started looking right away, and I didn't have, you know, some big new idea. Right. This is, this is really the root of my story, is that I was a guy who really wanted to do my own thing, but I didn't have a good <laughs> idea. I didn't have an innovation. I didn't have a division that was being neglected that I could you know, get funding and go run. I didn't have VC funding or anything like that. I just, I just needed to start somewhere. And so I looked at acquiring businesses and I probably looked at 100 or so in that last year. And I found one that I liked, and bought in, and then left the company so that I could start focusing my time on building that. Hmm.
1: And let's kind of fast forward over the next, because you're, yeah. I can ask you this now, how, how old are you now? 53. 53, okay. So you're you're twenty 25 years since the you know, European epiphany. And from that, yeah. that first business, like really quick, what's happened since then? Because I know you've been CEO for many companies. You've got this... Um, collection of successes. So, yeah.
0: I started with I bought the rights to build a, a company under a franchise banner, mm-hmm. which was my training wheels, right? And mm-hmm. I thought I was a little ashamed of it at first, but I delved in and realized there was a whole lot that I didn't know about running a company, and so maybe it's not such a bad idea, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, have <that's>, <laughs> a little bit of help. And it worked out pretty well. And so I built a second, and then I opened a couple gyms. So I had a couple of spas, a couple of gyms. Mm-hmm. I had a consulting agency at the time for in the med tech space, a oh, uh,
1: construction uh, wholesaling company. Mm-hmm. So a real mix. I mean, a real, a real mix yeah. of businesses. <laughs>
0: Yeah, wide variety of industries, and none of them are med tech.
1: Hmm.
0: I'm sorry, one of the, I had a, yeah. you know, a consulting agency in, in the med tech space, but the, the, the remaining of them are not med tech. Right. And they were just, they were kind of leveraging fundamental business skills, some of which I had, of course, you know, big companies sometimes do build great managers, mm-hmm. and you have support for everything. So if you have someone in your team who isn't performing, there is an HR person that you can go visit and give you lots of advice. because They often often
1: call our company and say, hey, can you help with this?
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I imagine they do, right? So skills like the skills that you have are super valuable to have them in your back pocket. Mm -hmm. But when you go out on your own, you suddenly realize that you are the decision maker for everything. And if you don't have A plus skill, then you're just going in with a C minus attempt. And then if you're smart, you will do a post-op Mm-hmm. And try to realize what you did well and what you didn't do well, and then make it better. And next thing you know, you're making a lot of B attempts. Right. You know, and some things you are naturally a B plus and some things you are naturally a B minus. But if you practice them and learn your lessons, the next thing you know, you have some A minus skills. Hmm. And um, that's how so many entrepreneurs make it happen.
1: Mm-hmm. They're
0: just on their own in the wilderness developing these skills, you know, by blooding their nose over or, and over again.
1: Or, or listening to podcasts, because I know one, one of those skills I know. That, um, that we're going to talk is delegation. And I think, you know, obviously, yeah. you, you now, you know, you spent 25 years as an entrepreneur. You, I know you coach a lot of entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think the skill that we're talking about is one that even if you're not an entrepreneur, is so fundamental to success, yeah. and that's the that ability to delegate. And I think you know the starting point you were alluding to it earlier is that you know even if you're in a big company, even if you're in a large organization, you, you're not necessarily developing those skills. And in fact, some of the incentives that exist work against developing the ability to delegate. So let let's just start with this question: Why do you think? so few people in the business world, uh, delegate effectively.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. A couple reasons. I think in the, especially in the business world, it is highly regarded to be specialists, Hmm. right? Um, because, because they can't have a meeting without you. Right. Right. And when the big problems come, they have to send Jerry, right. Because without Jerry, Jerry gets fixed faster than anybody. And it's kind of like, you know, you call the help desk and there's level one, two, and level three in the business world everyone's kind of, um, encouraged to develop in that route, Hmm. level one, level two, level three. As an entrepreneur, you just don't have the, um, you don't have the bandwidth for such Mm -hmm. a thing, right? But generally speaking, people start businesses that they can bring knowledge and expertise to. And then you hire people less experienced than you. And what ends up happening is three months later, you look around and you're the smartest person in the room by a lot. You're, you're the most experienced by a ton.
1: Because you're not surrounded by these people who have cultivated specialization year after year and, and been kept. Yes, in Yes,
0: exactly. Temple. And so it's terrifying to delegate at that point because the difference between experience levels just is so great. Hmm. There's a big gap between, you know, think about someone who um, uh, wants to. Uh, gosh, a simple business, let's see, um, animal training, mm-hmm. right? You and I were talking about horses last time we spoke, and there are lots of people who develop this expertise, and then they want to do it later in their life. Mm-hmm. So they open up a barn, and they get a bunch of horses, and they want to teach people. That expertise has a skill and a quality to it that very few people have. Mm-hmm. And handing it off can be terrifying mm-hmm. unless you spend an enormous amount of, of time with the people that you hand it off to, because when you walk away, the quality of the instruction or the quality right. of the care goes down. So my point, my point being is that you generally speaking will walk into something that you have some experience mm-hmm. or knowledge of, and the people you hire underneath you, generally speaking, are people you know you hire to get a specific job mm-hmm. done and to hand off important tasks. You know, just there's a certain amount of fear that comes with it, and just remember that you you the assumption you make when you're an entrepreneur. Especially small business entrepreneurs, is that you're decision making on hundreds of things. Mm-hmm. Like there's no one else that could possibly do this task. Mm-hmm. And so the, you think, gosh, you know, the quality will suffer. My knowledge of the key customers will suffer. My knowledge of the key players will suffer. And so the fear there is that um, you'll lose touch. You lose touch with mm-hmm. your customers. You'll become uh, maybe less relevant. Right. What if Mm -hmm. what if I hand off all these important tasks and all of a sudden everyone's going to Carolina for everything?
1: But I think, yeah, I think I think that's those fears um, exist, of course, in the corporate world as well. You know, as you if I if I hand this off, you know, what am I doing if I, you know, from (laughs) existential to what's my what I even do at at work to, you know, professional fear and concern, which is why will they need to keep employing me? And, yeah and so it's this combination, I think you're right of you know the uh, the worst is you know, perhaps the worst way to think about it is uh, protecting yourself from irrelevance. but I think the the other is people are promoted often through that capability and that competency, right you know we talk about this idea of getting mm-hmm. into flow, you're doing work, you feel you know it brings real purpose and meaning when you achieve something you you know take on intellectual challenge and then you get into the so delegating that, you also, Abandon that. So, what what message would you have to people in the business world and government who are saying, "Hey, you know, for those reasons, I, I am very cautious about delegating." Oh, and I should add the third one you reference, which is, "And I want to, I have you know, commitment to my client, commitment to the, our internal team, that the quality doesn't suffer, and the best way to do that is yeah. for me to oversee the implementations." What What advice would you or how yeah. would you respond to those seemingly very rational? Uh, Concerns about delegation
0: they are they are in fact rational. Um, here's the risk that you run by not doing it. Sometimes it's good to build bookends around this, right? Mm-hmm. Is that you the skills required to be a great project manager are actually quite different from the skills that it take to be a manager of project managers, right? Um, and if you spend your time making sure that your project manager's work is all great, all the time, then you are not leaving yourself enough time for the big picture items, which have a much bigger impact on your ability, your team's ability mm. to do their work. Like for instance, if you have three great project managers on staff and they're handing uh, three key accounts, mm-hmm. you could spend a lot of time making sure that each of those three accounts are running really smoothly. But the fact of the matter is you don't have a backup. Mm. You don't have a backup. What if one of these people gets hit by a bus, right? You're right. in really tough shape and you should be spending your time recruiting. Hmm. Right. And if you're in the accounts all the time, checking T's and dotting I's and et cetera, then you're not spending time finding that key person or developing a you know, developmental you know, list for that person to get up to
1: speed on the other three accounts.
0: Or you're not spending time dividing the tasks in such a way so that the, the three folks that you have can back each other up.
1: You're holding back their development for one. Because you're, yes. you're not empowering them to fail or succeed. And the other thing I'm hearing is you're probably neglecting the real new imperatives of your leadership role.
0: There are just some things that you legitimately can only do. Mm-hmm. If you're going to choose a piece of software that allows your staff to work efficiently, right? they're in the weeds all the time. They don't, they don't have the time, nor should they, because the company hired you to, you know, to support that team. It's your task to develop software that helps those people run smoothly. It's your task to make sure you have sufficient staff on your team. It's your job to run interference with, you know, accounting if the expenses are not, you know, are not being booked on time, et cetera, and let them do their job. Right. And so for me, it's really more not so much, hey, you know, have I neglected the development so much? It's like, that's not my My primary job is to give them the resources they need to do their job well.
2: Right. And
0: if I'm if I'm doing the job for them, then yes, in fact, you are you are prohibiting their ideal development. Hmm. But you know that your primary task, which is supporting them, given the resources they need, that's the thing you neglect more.
1: Yeah. So I think that's that's a good shift. You know that thinking about so the big obstacle delegation is not recognizing that your job is now when you have people who could, you could conceivably delegate to, your job is to build their capability and that to develop, to empower them. Um, is that, is that kind of the, the first step of thinking about embracing delegation, this mindset shift?
0: Yeah. Yeah. You, you need to overcome the fear. That's the bridge hmm. you need to build.
1: Yeah. Why are people um, so it's scared? Realize- is it just people are just scared to let go of what they're really capable of. Is that, is that the,
0: it's especially in a corporate environment, I would say that's the top thing. The second thing um, that scared the ha- I can tell you from a more personal experience yeah, please, what scared please. me, right? And that is that I was really afraid that I would give someone a task and teach them how to do it really well. Mm-hmm. And then I would lose them for some reason, hmm. right? Hmm. Because as an entrepreneur, you always have a hundred things that are bouncing inside your head that have a sense of urgency to them. And it keeps mm-hmm. you up at night, mm-hmm. it really does. And so I'm losing sleep because I don't know if someone's going to be there to unlock the doors in the morning. Hmm. You know, it seems like a silly thing. And so if you delegate it to someone, if you cut a key for them and you hire someone that's really reliable so they can be there every morning, then it just relieves that space in your head to be thinking about something that's more important.
1: Right. Right. Hmm.
0: Right. And I was always afraid that I would do that. I would give someone a key and they would quit.
1: And did it ever happen? (laughs)
0: Yes, it did. Um, and it, so it is, it is something you need to mitigate. But if you do it in such a way, if you have a good technique for delegation, you don't have to be worrying about the things that you've already handed off.
1: Hmm. So it reduces your mental load.
0: Oh man, that's exactly, that's much better said than hmm.
1: the way I said it.
0: It was my key objective is that I was stressing out because everything seemed to have a sense of urgency in my right. mind. And what I wanted to do was take 60% of it and hand it off in such a way so that I didn't have to worry about mm-hmm. it, which is different from classic delegating. Mm-hmm. I wanted to offload the worry so that I could focus on the 40% that I thought was most important. Hmm.
1: Okay, so let's, yeah, that's a good shift to the to the why of delegation. So why do it? One, you can offload the things that others can do so you can focus on the most relevant things. Uh, what yeah. would be a couple other reasons to embrace delegation?
0: I think this is a classic ROI model where... um You're doing it because there's something better on the other Hmm. side. Like you're crossing this chasm for the benefits of what comes on the other, you know, on the other plateau. And that is that when I was delegating effectively, I could open up ancillary businesses. Hmm. I could renegotiate with a landlord. I could uh, mitigate an important legal risk Mm -hmm. that are things that that has such a much bigger impact on the business than whether or not someone opened the door that morning. And it was really just a it's a financial arrangement for me. If someone didn't open the door, I might lose hundreds of dollars. Right, right. If I fell out of a relationship with my landlord, I might lose a million.
1: Right, and I think that same thing. And even if you're not an entrepreneur, it's opening up the possibility of learning a new skill, building capability as a new level of leader. So I think that that's exciting. And I think one last thing I'll add. Just yesterday, I was doing a podcast with a former um, governor of the Bank of Canada, who's who's retired. He's written a book on you know, disruptive forces. So we were chatting about leadership and he he was talking about how leaders now really need to create an empowered, autonomous decision makers in the ranks. And so the example he used, which I thought was really fascinating, was the war in Ukraine, which is going on and the radically mm-hmm. different performance that's taking place between the Russian units and the Ukrainian units. And he—he mm-hmm. he, a point he's made is there's a lot written about the different leadership style of the two militaries. You know, the Ukrainians have been empowered with this concept of commander's intent, true delegation to say, you figure out the best decisions to make in the field, whereas the Russians, mm-hmm. as every decision is prescribed, and the results have been mm-hmm. Um, much less effective. So I thought that, you know, I think maybe that's a final reason to delegate. Not not only uh, do you get to focus on more ROI and and build new capability, but you also will probably end up with better results in the end.
0: Yeah, from a corporate perspective, it's been a little while since I've been in a big corporate space. Um, So it's hard for me to to draw the lines um, always. But just remember that if you are a, a division manager for a region of the country, um, the the next most interesting thing for you to do would be either take over more territory or take on a, a new division or whatever. And if you're not building new skills, right, mm-hmm. then you're not going to be considered for those positions because they want to know that you've had performed well to date mm-hmm. and they want to be able to envision you in the role that they're considering you for. And if you're not practicing with these new skills or tasks or showcasing your talent on a new committee, then it makes you less of a candidate in their eyes. Um, and you can't do that if you're in the trenches doing your folks' job all the right. time.
1: So, okay, so, so some compelling reasons to delegate. Now, <laughs> let's say, you know, how do you actually go about doing it? What would you say the the, the steps that you would tell leaders <laughs> to follow or entrepreneurs to follow?
0: we had to come up with a you know five-step process uh, really in our businesses. My, there came a point where I hmm. I was withholding so many decisions that hmm. my manager finally came to me and said, look, you with all due respect, Todd, you're better at some of this stuff, you're more experienced than I am, but some of these decisions have to be made or we're gonna lose key staff, or we're gonna lose key customers or what have you. So please, let's, let's work something out. And so she gets credit for this whole process, not me. Hmm.
1: Right. Um, well, there you go, you delegated, right? You delegated. <laughs> Yeah. But
0: we had to build it together and it took us years. This is not a simple process. And the first thing we really needed to do was develop trust. So this was something we developed, we thought about in retrospect, because we really trust each other, this manager and I, and we just were able to step it up a little more. She's like, I realize that I haven't done some of these things as often as you, Mm -hmm. but if you help me understand why, and you trust that I'll keep trying, we can refine them and make them better. And so trust was the first component. And I think that breaks down to just a few things. We ended up in the end hiring for trust. Hmm. We started asking questions in the interview about what someone's character was and how they, you know, how they saw integrity fitting into the business environment. Not because there are people that are trustworthy and, and trustworthy per se, but, you know, do they see trust in the same way that we do? Like, how do they feel about borrowing things from the shop and, and who who do they think is entitled to see records and or, you know, uh, take things home or lock up early, right? And so we started asking questions in an interview and we found that we did, were able to interview and hire people that were, that had a kind of stylistic fit with our, our morals and values.
1: So once you've hired those people and you're, and you're, like, how do you actually build trust? I mean, because you could say, well, trust takes time to build trust, you know, some people say, oh, you know, I start with trust and then, you know, yeah, I trust people until I, until there's a reason not like, what is the, the process for building trust that actually leads to delegation?
0: Yeah, that's a fair question because it, it does seem to be a bit subjective. Um, and so we did a bunch of reading on it and came up with a couple of philosophies that practically speaking
1: really work for us.
0: The one is that we have to model trusting behavior. Right? So, for instance, if you ever notice in a casino when people come in and they change the chips out mm-hmm. at a poker table, mm-hmm. they have this whole process they go through where they clap their hands and they show their, the tops of their hands and they show the bottom of their hands to the cameras. Mm-hmm. And they do so voluntarily and they do so very cleanly and clearly so that there's no question. And the, the real question is, are you beyond reproach? It's not whether or not, hey, have I caught you stealing? Or technically, I borrowed, I didn't technically steal. Are you beyond reproach? Are you the person that no one ever thinks about as it relates to trust? And so we had to model that behavior. And so when we came out, like I had a couple of retail businesses, right? And so when we came out to the drawer, they said, hey, we have 100, we need 520s. We would come out with 520s and we would hand them to someone and say, would you please count these 20s and make sure they're 100? Hmm. Yes, I will. Okay, great. I'm going to replace 100. This is a $100 bill. Will you please put these in the drawer for me? And then what they saw is they saw that we weren't, we weren't above, you Mm -hmm. know, these little steps of building Hmm. trust. And so that was one way that we kind of modeled it. And it seems like a simple example, but there are, you know, examples in your business that you could use a, a similar methodology.
1: It's what I'm hearing there is if you want your employees partners contractors to trust to demonstrate the behaviors that engender trust you also have to model those behaviors yourself that it's a two-way street to build trust is that right
0: yeah there's there's no better way to to earn trust than to call somebody and apologize for something that they didn't know you did Hmm. Hmm. right hey um I'm really sorry. I just realized that um, I borrowed, you know, if you have a, a roommate that has a car and, uh, you know, I borrowed your car to go to the store and it seemed like an emergency at the time, but in retrospect, I probably should have told you. So I just want to let you know, I filled it up with gas and it may be a misunderstanding and it, you know, it may be an insult that you're correcting, but in any case, um, you're building trust.
1: Hmm. And I th- yeah. And I think what's, what's powerful about that is, you know, like that sentence I, I quote, you know, well, you know, I'll trust you until you give me a reason. It's, it creates like a power dynamic, yeah. right? Whereas what I'm hearing from yeah. you is that you have to commit, if you want to trust someone. Active. Yeah, you Absolutely. have to commit to sh- earning their trust as well. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, it's not a passive process. Hmm. There is a great book uh, called The Speed of Trust, uh, which, embarrassingly, I can't remember the names of the authors.
1: Stephen Covey. Oh, is yeah. it?
0: Oh, gosh, yeah the speed of trust, one of their premises is that even if you've lost trust with someone, you can repair it and it doesn't have to take forever. And the yeah. way to do it is to make a small promise and then keep it. Hmm. And then to make a large, a little large size promise and keep it. Hmm. And it. And the recency theory does take over where they're like, you know, oh, th- that person was in prison. Do you remember? Well, I, yeah, I guess so. I guess I remember that. But I also remember that he borrowed the car and brought it back with gas in it. And I also right. remember <laughs> that um I had too much to drink last week and he drove me home. And I also remember that he mowed my lawn mm. and I forgot to pay him and he didn't beat me over the head about it. Like mm-hmm. you can build trust with someone if you just have small interactions that you build over time. And so we we try to model that behavior in our in our businesses as well.
1: Okay. I, lo- I love it. So I love, you know, step one, you know, commit to building trust together. What's the second step?
0: Uh patience. <laughs> <laughs> you mean exactly. does it doesn't just happen yeah. like you, you can't just do it tomorrow. <laughs> I know. We <laughs> we struggled with patience because at first, of course, I was the regular schmuck who sent an email. Okay, starting Tuesday, I'd like you to do all the bookkeeping. Here's the folder. Here's the login. Uh, please use this naming nomenclature and then forget about it. And inevitably, it wouldn't go the way I right. expected because I'm an imperfect communicator and you know the staff are imperfect learners, right? So what would happen is after a week or two, if you're not following up, those would implode, right? Mm. And so here's the here's the premise that we set. And then you would say, oh look,
1: I was right. I couldn't delegate this after all. <laughs> they failed, yeah. It, oh gosh, it can be <laughs> great. Yeah, can I'll really take it be back. A spiral. <laughs> <Yeah>.
0: <laughs> okay. So we we always say that whatever the cycle is, plan for three or four or five cycles of it in order for it to hmm. be worry-free. Because remember, that's my goal. My goal right. is not to hand it off because I'm not concerned about saving an hour. An hour is mm. not that helpful. But not worrying about it, that's really helpful. Mm. And so I plan for a very long transition period. And in this period, you, you, you must micromanage
1: in our experience. Interesting, interesting. So to build trust, yeah. you initially have to micromanage. Okay, keep going.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but remember, this this comes into the trust because by being available, what you're doing is you're affirming their ability to get it right. Hmm. If you if you hand off something imperfectly, and then set up this expectation that you're measuring them soon, they're they're destined to fail, and that brings a tension into the environment. It brings an anxiety into the environment. And so, what you're offering them by micromanaging is you're saying, look, I'm going to give you everything you need
1: hmm. to
0: nail this.
1: So interesting, so, if, so, the, so it's the not quiz. a negative micromanage. I mean, you can almost say it's micro-supporting mm-hmm. them, right? That you're, you're helping them, yeah. but you're not letting yes. them, you're not just giving it to them and saying, it's yours. You've got to kind of, there's a period of time where you have to give them, as you yeah. say, the answers to the quiz.
0: Give them the answers to the quiz. And if you set up the expectations, generally speaking, I found that people are, are, are super open to this. Hmm. You know, I'll usually tell them, look, for the next uh, two or three months, I'm going to call you a lot about this and I want you to call me with every single little question you have. Can you do that? And if they sign up for it um, at the end of five months, what you have is you have someone that's confident Mm -hmm. and you can, you can stop worrying about it. Hmm. Right. And so here's the other premise that I want you to, I want to to squeeze in here though, that I always assume when I hand off an important task Mm -hmm. that I will redo it at least twice. Hmm. And by that, I mean, at the end of the first month, I've been communicating profusely. They've been asking questions profusely. And at the end of the first month,
1: you're still going to have to redo uh, it.
0: (laughs) I'm still going to have to redo it. And that's okay. Because remember, your goal is not to save yourself four or five hours of work. Your goal is that three or four or five months from now or whatever, that you never have to worry about it again. Mm. And that's, this is the philosophy of delegation that really has propelled us as a business to go from, Hey, we have one spot to two spots, you know, four franchises to a consulting and construction. Like this is what allowed us to grow is by having this kind of expectation that it's going to take work in the beginning, but it's worth it in the long run.
1: Well, there's so many good things there that I'm I'm hearing. I mean, I think the first is this idea that you really have to support people. And the second is that you have to be prepared to actually do more work in the short term. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to save yeah. in the long run and i think those are big shifts i i, I think so often when i've seen is someone hands it off they're like it's yours inevitably there's rework or failure and then they're like well that person wasn't ready and they jump back in and then it's yep of course the trust is, is gone so okay so that's step two is really you know have have yep. the patience and, and i'll amend that and add to that and say have patience and be prepared to work alongside them so what yeah. what's step three <laughs>
0: Yeah. Step three is we found it was really useful uh, because this this um, this anxiety about being measured on uh, mm-hmm. these things, because sometimes you hand off very important tasks, you know, um, if you're good at this. Um, and there's a certain amount of anxiety of, oh, geez, you know, Todd handed this off to me 10 days ago. And now I'm forced in a situation where I don't know what to do. Should, should I be mm. calling him or should I, mm. should I already know what to do? And so to, to remove some of that anxiety, we had a list of a handful of things that we said, if you ever run into a situation like this, I just want you to call me.
1: So a clear guideline on when they should escalate to you and, and not escalate. feel that it was a failure to do so. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Very well said. So if, for instance, I had at one point a handful of small retail businesses, and if anyone came in with a clipboard, I wanted them to stop what they're doing and call me on my cell phone before they let them in the back of the store or Hmm. or into the warehouse or whatever. Because there were just so many environments that they don't have enough cycles to get experience for. You know, over 10 years or 15 years, I've had competitors come in with a clipboard posing as an auditor (laughs) and and using words ever so carefully that they never really lied about who they were. You know what I mean? But, you know, to a 20 year old college student, someone comes in with a clipboard and and kind of a bullying attitude and they're quite intimidated. Um, for that's just one, for instance, right? So right. if anyone comes in with a clipboard, I want to know about it. There could be situations where there's a misunderstanding right out of the gate that can put us in, in a situation with high penalties or high high consequences. And I want to be the one managing that. So that's one good example where they never have to feel bad for
1: bothering mm. me. Yeah, and I think that the, the powerful thing about that is you're taking away any sort of shame that contacting yeah. the per- person who's handed off is a failing. It's actually... Mm-hmm. You know, desirable. And I think that creates the empowerment yeah. to say also, hey, on these other things that are not on the list, you, you make the decision, or if you want, you can call me. So, really, yeah. really spelling yeah. it out.
0: Yeah, this is, you know, I think it was a, a benefit actually that I was in an environment with such a big power differential. To, I was delegating an environment that should be a little harder to delegate in. And I think it's good because we built a process that allows for smooth delegation in, in lots of other environments, right? Because some of the folks that I was delegating to felt like it was a lot of responsibility to take on, and I needed to incorporate some of these tools to help them feel better about it. Like um, I have a wholesaling company, and if I ever have a bill that's over, say, sixty or $70,000, they always know to stop, stop and call. Right, because they they buy all the time, and 10, 20, 30, even fifty thousand dollars is kind of routine for them. Mm-hmm. But the big ones, um, I just I just want them to always be puckered up about those, so they're right. not making mistakes and duplicating effort, et cetera. And so, money is another good one to think about.
1: Right, when once it's over a certain threshold. Yeah,
0: think about um, uh, a a marketing rep whose job it is to set up a trade show, right? And they always go to the same trade show. It's always Vegas, and it's always such and such. Well, this year. The booth uh, number that they've always wanted is available, and it's seventy-five thousand hmm. dollars, right? And they usually pay forty or forty-two, and they grab it and they put it on the company American Express card, and they go to bed at night that night, thinking, "I wonder if I should have done that." Hmm. And just creates anxiety. Right. And so the question the question is, do they already feel entitled so that they know, hey, this trade show is really important at any price, get that booth? If you've already talked about it, great, then you hmm. delegate it properly. But if you haven't talked about it how do they feel about picking up the right. phone and calling somebody like this could be a corporate executive vice president who handles all the trade shows right. for a $300 billion right. company. And that might be an intimidating call for them. And they don't know if $75,000 is a lot of money to them or not.
1: Right. Unless they know, Hey, get it at all costs. So yeah, I love that. I love the, you know, having the plan, empowering them on escalations and, and give them clarity. And then it's it's um, really kind of the freedom that they have. So, okay. So that's step three. Uh, step yep. four, once once you've started to build trust, you've been working with them and having patience, you've created the escalation rules, what's step four?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, create redundancies. Because okay. there, there did come a point where we were doing these three steps very well. Mm-hmm. And if we lost a key staff member, it it caused a catastrophe. Hmm. <laughs> right? And so what we're asking ourselves is, okay, like losing key staff, uh, which it's nobody's fault sometimes. It just happens, right? yeah. It could be health concern or, you know, some kind of family life mm-hmm. event or
1: someone gets a new career, a new job. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Like this, this stuff happens. Right. And um, it happens sometimes where it was a catastrophe. And we said, OK, these are going to happen. How do we change it from a catastrophe to an emergency? Or from an emergency to something important. How do we de-escalate this a little bit? And so we created redundancies in the process, and this gave us this allowed us to sleep much better at night.
1: And is that because you know, as you're delegating, you know, the, we talked about this idea. One of the benefits is reducing the mental load. And is it that mm-hmm. you know, if and of course, the time it takes. You say you know, you have to do this. You have to be patient. You have to work with them. And then that person's gone or sick. Suddenly, the mental load's mm-hmm. back on. So is this kind of ensuring yeah. that there's a there's a, a continuity? For that?
0: Yeah. No, operational continuity is, is key. I, I bought a business a year and a half ago that was outside of my expertise and the general manager there and I were kind of still circling each other three to six months in, you know, trying to figure out, you know, how to make our styles mesh. And if we had the same priorities and if, if he was a flight risk or if I was a, you know, a uh, cell risk and it creates, it creates so much stress to worry about losing a key employee and wondering if you can run the business without them. Right. Um, and you never, you never want to be in that situation. And so what we did to prevent that is divvy the job up in such a way, provide some skills that you share amongst parties. Like I don't have one bookkeeper on staff for all my businesses. I have one outsourced bookkeeper, one internal, you know, light bookkeeper and then a tax professional and they all work together. Just great. But for my tax professional, decides they want to train horses for a living now and not do taxes anymore, I have really well-prepared books that I can hand off to a new person.
1: So it's not, is it then not over-investing uh, in one person when you delegate? Like it's delegating in such a way that, yeah. you know, there, there is kind of a sharing of tasks among the team.
0: Yeah, because you just can't anticipate the types of changes that come at you this way. And so it's not, here's, here's the big leap that we had to make. Building redundancies is not about trusting your team okay. because it's not a reasonable thing to trust somebody to stay forever. It's not reasonable. No. Pe- people have lives and some things are out of their control that are great opportunities that you want to support them for, but suddenly your business is without this one person. And so it's your job as the CEO or it's your job as the senior manager to build your team in such a way so that no single event can... You know, make your team a catastrophe.
1: Yeah, that one really resonates with me. I mean, I I remember when I started growing the Humphrey Group team. This was some, oh my gosh, must be almost 15 years ago. You know, I, I would bring people in and I would get so excited about what they did. And I'm like, we're going to build this together. And I'd give them more tasks, right? And more tasks because they were doing so mm-hmm. well. Yeah. And then, um, you know, at some point, sometimes they would leave or or I would feel that the business was no longer served by them. And it was so difficult to untangle everything, you know, because it had been almost these super people, you know, who I, I had invested Mm -hmm. too much in them or they had over invested in, in, in me. And so now, and it created on both sides, probably a lot of um, difficult feelings. And so now, you know, we have very, you know, more narrowly focused job descriptions, but we also recognize, Hey, you know, come have a great career with us, but it may be a year, it may be five years we'll be fine. <laughs> you know, if you need to move yeah. on or we need to move on, we'll be fine. And I think that's, it's a much uh, less stressful <laughs> uh, place to right. be.
0: And a little more realistic,
1: yes. right? It used yes, to be exactly. that you
0: expect to stay with your company your whole life. And and there will be times where it doesn't make sense for either party. And if you're still on this timeline where you feel like you have to stay forever, then it's not serving either person. I take direction from Gary Vaynerchuk mm-hmm. on this one a lot. He he publishes some really good content about over supporting his staff mm. because here are your alternatives, right? You invest a lot in someone and they leave, or you don't invest in your people, <laughs> right? And neither of them are ideal. So build a system that allows you to um, to be a happy manager, right. right? To invest in your team, knowing that they may not last for you know stay forever, but that your your business can survive in their absence and that they thrive right. um, without your company.
1: And I think that's probably a good segue to what I know we talked about as your final um, step mm-hmm. in delegation, which is yeah. coaching, not micromanaging. Tell, tell me a bit about what you yeah. mean there, I, because it's ironic, right? Because earlier on, you were like, yeah, once you hand it off, you have to micromanage. <laughs> so, so
0: you talk do. To me about this. And so that's why we needed this as a fifth step, because I think we knew instinctively that at some point you had to manage rather or coach rather mm. than manage. But it required so much communication and so much management in step two uh, during, you know, the patient's part that we needed to remind ourselves at some point you have to let people do their very best and fail. And there would be times where people call me and said, okay, here's the situation right? We got audited. We got this thing. Here's how I handled it. I just didn't have time to call you, but because of all of our conversations and all of our training, I knew the most important thing you wanted me to handle was X. Mm
2: -hmm. So I did
0: Y and Z and I'm laying it at your feet. And it's so hard to sometimes say, well, I wouldn't have done it that way, Mm. right? It's so hard to back up and say, great, good job. You've used all the tools I gave you Mm -hmm. and you did the very best with the information you had. Now let's do a post-op.
1: Mm. Right. So that's that shift of saying, "Hey, we're going to work on this together, rather than me, you know, wrapping your knuckles yeah. on it."
0: It's a hard question to say. What would you do differently next time, if anything?
1: Hmm. And keep your keep your
0: trap shut, <laughs> 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 and and let them come up with the solutions. Because right. mostly, like they're in it, the stress is a little more real for them. Right. Mostly, they know how to refine it next time. Right. You don't have to teach them and they will learn it so much more thoroughly if you allow them the process and then they own it. And this is this is the last step where I'm telling you, I've had some conversations where people really, you know, <laughs> use poor judgment <laughs> from my perspective, but they learned so thoroughly from it that I could finally let the worry out of my hmm. head. Like, I, I definitely don't have to ever worry about this again because they understand the why now. Like, they really got caught with their pants down in this particular situation and they will never let that happen to themselves again. Uh, now I don't need to worry about it.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's it's true. I mean, I, I've, it's been so many years, but I really feel now with the the senior team I have and the Humphrey Group and my, my other company, Niagara, you know, when I listen to people tack, uh, share how they're wrestling with the inevitable challenges of the business, I'm always amazed at how seriously they take it. And often Mm -hmm. they come up with reflections that I never would have if I just keep my mouth shut. (laughs) But It is hard, you know, your temptation is to be like, hey, let me tell you what you did wrong here. It's so easy to do that. (laughs) But it's so satisfying, (laughs) you know, I gotta say, it's so satisfying, but ultimately unfulfilling. So I think this is a great step, you know, that that your final step of once you've done all this work of shifting to this coach role.
0: Yeah, it was it was a lesson that I learned the hard way because I had a pretty big ego at the time mm-hmm. about this. Remember I said that I was building businesses where I had a lot more experience than the folks I was running and so it was a danger for me to be Mr. Smarty Pants all the time and Mr, you know, academic professor all the time. And well, here's the way that, you know, some mm-hmm. people handle it. and I would teach 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 and um I found that that I had to keep teaching the same things over and over again until mm. I developed a little more coaching style where I asked them what they would do different. Mm. And when they started learning on their own, I saw leaps in uh, leaps in productivity and hmm. and
1: judgment. Actually, so I, I love the steps. Um, I'm just going to sum them up. You know, build the trust. Sure. Um, yep. Have patience, but micromanage to support early on. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Lay out the escalations. Create the redundancy and then shift to coaching. Uh, yeah. And in doing that, you can really then reduce your load and focus on the things that you're gonna make a big impact on and also is the next career step for you. Is that, does that kind of sum up your, your approach?
0: Exactly. Yeah, I feel like it's a transition that you have to ha- take, take seriously. And I wouldn't enter this process unless you know you have the time hmm. and you have the right person to dedicate to it. Yeah, because it's clearly time consuming.
1: (laughs) It's time consuming Mm -hmm. to get to that point. Right. And I'm sure not everyone, is it fair to say that it doesn't always work? Like you try it. Sometimes you learn that you don't have the right person in going through this. Is that fair? Yeah, correct. Well, Todd, uh, super, super helpful. I think one of the most fascinating things that I'm taking away is so often people blame their subordinates or team for, when delegation doesn't work, oh, this person couldn't do it, this person didn't have the skills, so I gave it to them and they messed mm-hmm. it up. What I'm hearing is really the effort and intention it takes to empower someone uh, through delegation and that it's, it's a slow process. It does have a big payoff, but you really have to yeah. go into it with that intention. So super, super helpful.
0: Delegation is your responsibility, not theirs. Hmm. Hmm. It's your skill to develop. Now you can help, you can help them help you but as a manager, it's your job to delegate appropriately, and so I think you have to you have to wear that burden well.
1: And, and what you said there too, just one more thing I'm, that resonates is that it's your skill to develop. So it is a skill, you know. And I, that's it is a I skill, think, and you've got to work yep. at it. And so you probably will fail at doing it as well. And hopefully, you've got a coach who <laughs> is trusting and patient and. It's coaching you. So uh, now on that topic, so if if people like what they're hearing, they want to know more, they want to learn more from you, you know, what resources do you offer?
0: Yeah, we have a website uh, that's a good way to get started with us. It helps you understand who we are and gives you a way to reach out to us. Um, It's called beachview.biz, B like Bravo, beachview.biz, B-I-Z. Um, And uh, we'll post uh, this podcast up there uh, so that people can listen to it on there as well.
1: Yeah, and we'll uh, we'll we'll put a link to it in the show notes as well. So, thanks. Yeah, well, I really appreciate you taking the time. I I, I learned some more about delegation, which is some, a, a deep passion of mine. But also, hey, it's a, as Good. you said, it's a skill, and uh, it's one I look forward to continuing to to get better at.
0: Always enjoy speaking with you, Bart. Yeah. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks, Todd. Appreciate
1: it. Hope you enjoyed my conversation today with Todd Randall and. I thought his points around how to delegate are just so clear. They really make it clear that you don't just hand something off and dump it to someone expect them to deliver. You really have to support that person and build trust together over time. Super valuable. Next, i on the pod. It's our final episode of season four. And I'm joined by Christine Myers and Rick Lash of Verity International to talk about their new book, which is Once Upon a Leader. And it looks at your narrative your narrator and the story you tell yourself about why you're doing what you're doing so tune in next time for our final episode